welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Upriser podcast and video brought to you by Top Coder. Uh, Clinton Bonner here. I am excited as could be today. We try to tell just cool innovation stories on the Upriser podcast, and we got a doozy today. This one, let's put it this way. If you're into like geospatial computer vision, if you're into data science, if you're into open innovation series and challenge series, if you're into like remarkable partnerships and bringing people together to do some of the biggest things to, to accomplish and get over some of the biggest hurdles, I think you're gonna uh, really enjoy this one. You can see we got lots of different folks on screen. So in instead of me trying to do a roll call here and being all smooth about it and probably fall on my face, I'm gonna pass the mic quickly, have some folks introduce who they are, where they're coming from, and we're we're going to dive into a discussion about this uh, this really unique uh, innovation series that's been going on for quite a while under the under the name of SpaceNet. Really fascinating stuff. So, first up, Ryan uh, Ryan Lewis, going to pass you the mic. Please say a quick hello. Let people know who you are, what you're about, and and then please pass it on. Hey, Clinton. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And for all those listening, uh, I have yet to find a person that doesn't think about geospatial computer vision processing at least once a day. So this should be <laughs> up the alley for anyone. Who likes podcasts? Uh, Ryan Lewis here. Uh, I'm the GM of SpaceNet, and I am a SVP at Inkytel Cosmic Works. Adam, over to you. Hey, Adam Bennett, and the, I'm the chief data scientist at Inkytel, uh, and the challenge manager for SpaceNet's three, five, and then upcoming seven. Jake. Hey, I'm uh, Jake Shermeyer. I was the challenge manager for SpaceNet six, which is what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm also a research scientist at IQT. Uh, Daniel. I'm Daniel Hogan. I'm a data scientist with Cosmic Dan, take it away. Hey, Dan Wright's here. Uh, I sit on the advisory council of SpaceNet. Um, I work at a great partner SpaceNet called Topcoder. And in my day-to-day -day here, I'm the principal program manager for public sector. Uh, I oversee all of our project delivery uh, across this portfolio. Scott? I'm Scott Sonnen. I sit on the advisory council for SpaceNet, and I am the VP of product engineering at Capella Space. And last but not least, Todd. Hi, Todd Bacasto. I'm the Space Center Advisory Council co-chair uh, and a senior director of strategic growth at Maxar Technologies. It's been a phenomenal project to be a part of. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for, for that. And, and you know, you kind of you hear it at the onset here. You hear some things like SpaceNet 2, 3, 6, 7. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, and all these different these different partners that came together to make this happen. You heard, heard about Maxar and Capella and some others, Topcoder, of course, Incutel. Uh, and, and we want to dive into what is this? So I dive into some of the um, articles that the SpaceNet team puts out and the Incutel team puts out, and they're really hardcore data science focused. They're they're wonderful reads, but for me, uh, you know, I could absorb about maybe 50% of them and I, I get it. And the rest of it's a lot of math and about the algorithms themselves. And that's, you know, frankly, just above my head. So I wanted to bring this group together to kind of talk about the story behind SpaceNet, what it stands for, what it's what it's trying to achieve, and, you know, just the way in which that they're, they're going about this innovation series. So, hey, Ryan, why don't we kick one off to you first? So you and I have talked SpaceNet for a while now, and but, but for those that just don't know about it or unfamiliar with with the organization and what you're trying to do, I think a little context and history of SpaceNet would do the viewers and the audience uh, uh, some real good. Can you set the stage for us? Yeah, absolutely. So 
SpaceNet is a nonprofit organization that is run across uh, nine partners now. So we've you mentioned a couple when everyone was doing the introductions. So one is is Inky Talk Cosmic Works. Another one is Maxar Technologies. Uh, but then also uh, is and some not on the podcast today is AWS. Uh, we have Intel AI. Certainly Scott with and the rest of the team from Capella Space, Top Coder, the IEEE GRSS, uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and Planet. And essentially what this whole partnership has evolved into is focused on accelerating open source uh, computer vision technologies for geospatial applications. And the question is, so that's what we are today, but how did we get there? It really goes back to early 2016 and we didn't have any formal structure. Uh, we didn't have multiple SpaceNet challenges under our belts that sounded like the Final Fantasy uh, trilogy. <laughs> if you're into those types of video games, I was early on. We'll talk about that in a later pod. <laughs> but uh, it really started just between uh, initially Incutog Cosmic and Maxar. And the central premise was, was really the convergence of two trends. So on the one hand, you have rapid development in computer vision, which you heard about continuously in the news not necessarily in the context of geospatial though. On the other hand, you have a geospatial industry where you have emerging startups such as uh, Capella, as well as incumbents that are providing, such as Maxar, that are providing increasing volumes of data types, including new data. So the question is what happens when those two things intersect? And what we found was, was that unlike other domains, there wasn't uh, a robust ecosystem whether it's labeled data or code, or essentially a whole area, a centralized area for researchers and product developers to plug into. That's what we wanted to create with SpaceNet. It started really informally, but I'd like to say now four years later, it's really become uh, a standard resource that I hope uh, a wide variety of public and private sector players can use. It's uh yeah, and I know we're going to get into some of the the use cases and and the ways in which the um, algorithms and and the data is applied. It's and it's really is fascinating. By the way, thank you for bringing up Final Fantasy. You know, we're going to be heading into. We'll talk about uh, SpaceNet Seven at the end of this. Uh, but you know, not to get ahead of ourselves. But if you're going to bring up Final Fantasy and then the number seven comes up, well, that's going to evoke some memories for me. That's gonna that's really gonna that's really gonna uh it's gonna hit me it's hit some heartstrings. So I appreciate it, Ryan. Listen, we have you have all these partners and 2016 i'm sure for you since you were a founder that might seem like a long time ago however you know time flies time goes really quickly so ryan what are some of the attributes of this success it's been a pretty condensed time frame only four plus years now you have a a slew of partners and the partnerships keep growing it seems like every couple of months you're adding another another partner that does something brings something brand new to the table so how do you account for this success and for the growth yeah, I would say it's it, it's really, I'd put it in two different categories. And, and uh, I would say a lot of our work really hasn't changed over the course of four years uh, uh, from when we got started. The first is, is that, you know, identifying what the gap really was, or essentially what are we trying to fill? Like in a lot of conversations today, not just in geospatial, you hear talks about different public-private partnerships or different open initiatives and at the surface, those those sound great. The question is always, what what solution, product, or offering are you actually trying to provide, and how does that fit into a broader market? And I'd say a lot for us, a little bit more by accident than design. Kind of stumbled across the fact that, like a lot of industries, there's a dearth of labeled data. 
But on top of that, there is a, a genuine lack of uh, aggressive benchmarks and software uh, to leverage those data. And so for us, you know, since the beginning, we're saying, you know what, we can't, this can't just be about putting out some data or uh, just running one challenge or writing one blog. If mm -hmm. we're really going to uh, not only uh, hopefully achieve our mission, which is accelerating geospatial research, then we need to do more than that, which means this has to be a multi-year effort. Getting to the second category, which is if you accept that first premise that this is multiple years, then you immediately have to think, all right, how, how do we get there? You know, and this is something Todd can, and Adam uh, who were there at the beginning can tell you a lot about. We had, a, we had a lot of debate about this, which is how do you structure in such a way that we work our way to this eventual goal? Trying to run at that uh, right out of the gate would be really tough uh, in the sense that just looking back four years ago, there weren't a lot of resources. So we didn't really even know in some cases what the best path would be to get to a lot of data, a lot of code, and a lot of participation. I think one of the best things I've heard uh, in my time in supporting this is that machine learning, particularly in this domain, is learning through doing. And so we understood where we wanted to get, but we wanted to acknowledge that to get there, we had to kind of learn by doing. So we wanted to have an incremental strategy that allowed us to do that and pivot if we saw changes based on feedback from end users or challenge participants. So, so Adam, I'm going to bounce it over to you. You know, Ryan kind of Ryan kind of tag teamed you in there to uh, to take some of this. So, you know, we talked about this this striation, this series of different challenges. And again, we got all these different numerics out there. We're going to dive into SpaceNet six in a bit. We're going to tease SpaceNet seven. But when it was SpaceNet zero, right? When it when, when there was nothing launched yet, how did the team come come up with the strategy uh, of using open innovation and open on demand talent challenges? Uh, and if you give a little bit of color as to uh, why you gravitated to the top quarter platform, that'd be useful too. But I think on the macro sense, the bigger one is you know why the strategy in the first place. What uh, what what pulled you to it? Yeah, I think it was something that. It took a bit of time uh, to to figure out kind of internally, like what was the what was the goal, right? And I think a lot of it was, to Ryan's point earlier, like there weren't great resources. Um, things have gone along a long way in four years, but four years ago there wasn't quite as much out there, especially data sets, right? So we don't have a great data set to to benchmark anything off of, and and we resisted the urge to kind of shoot for the moon initially. I think that's a lot of the success was you know we didn't try and cure world hunger with challenge number one. Um, you know, a lot of the things we've done actually do apply towards those humanitarian type problems. We can talk about that more later, but but let's just chip away at it. And so what we said is, all right, there aren't great benchmarks, there aren't great data sets. Um, let's build a data set we understand. And and then let's, let's apply some resources towards that um, and pick a problem that's easy to understand. In this case, you know, we picked building footprints. And, and if I'm really honest, right, when we first decided that, the reaction is kind of like, that seems like it's kind of easy, right? It's not, it's people, there's, there's articles about this, there's papers about this, there's academics have claimed very good good success with this. And so is it really that interesting? Well, you know, fast forward a little bit to the results of SpaceNet 1, and we found, you know, that the winning score was below 0.25 out of out of 1. So is it, it's not a solved problem, even remotely, right? It's, it's actually very hard. And I think really, Building your own data set, knowing that the limitations of that, and then setting a very defined challenge, let us set match that that benchmark, 
And then doing the public challenge, and you know, we ended up going with Top Coder, obviously, because that was really the best option that we found, uh, really helped us establish, like, look, this isn't just uh, that I wasn't smart enough to think of the right algorithm. You, you put it out to a crowd, and then you say, look, if, if we have a large number of samples now, we can say with pretty high precision that, like, we have um, a good idea of what's possible with this data set and the current techniques. And then, and then we, we, knowing that benchmark, we can move forward and iterate and say, let's increase the complexity. All right, let's, let's keep doing this incrementally. And instead of just throwing a whole bunch of things at people at once, let's you know build up some tools, build up some knowledge, build up some data, and then we can actually start chipping away at kind of the, the more deployable problems eventually You know, when we get to these higher level space nets. But those all um, really wouldn't have worked if we'd started um, just throwing everything at, at the at the wall at once. And so I think that, that approach has really helped us very, very well. And, and all, all the pieces have been necessary, the data set, the challenge, um, the code, all of this, it's integrated very well. And it's taken us, you know, some years to figure out, but but I think it's been quite successful. And it is cool to to add on to that, how much we learn even today from each challenge. You know, in the early days, it was what, as Adam's highlighting, really foundational stuff. Like, oh, you're, your license, your data license isn't uh, permissive enough to let commercial companies uh, feel comfortable uh, participating. Or uh, as Todd can talk about in much greater detail than I, what's the best type of raw data file for uh, EO or electro-optical satellite imagery? You know, we've evolved to now almost saying, well, how do we structure, uh, uh, how do we structure the challenge best to give competitors a great running start? How do we uh, apply resources uh, such as AWS credits uh, to make it more available to really anyone, even if they don't have uh, a lot of resources through their company or through their own uh, personal accounts. And so with each iteration, it's not just uh, figuring out what the best model is and then scoring it. We figure out each time how better to serve uh, the community and thus uh, both companies and and research institutions. I think there's some some uh, something to pull on there too, Ryan, is you know, as as Adam was saying, like you guys, you guys didn't set this up for the for the one shot moonshot. Um, you know, a, a lot of people who do follow crowdsourcing, they they might they might know some of the those like grand challenges that like that like an X Prize will put out or X Prize does put out, and they literally call call those moonshots. They try to go do really big things. It might take a decade. It might take five years, but it's one honking goal and then go at it versus this incremental approach. And then you were called, you know, you were mentioning Todd there for a second. So my, my question then becomes, you mentioned the, you know, kind of the knowledge share and bringing communities along with you. So then Todd, from your perspective, you know, when, when you're looking at the consideration of crowd, what comes to mind as, as a backup to that, or as a, as a tether to that, how, how have you experienced the community around the challenges and the engagement? How has that evolved over the series, uh, starting at like, you know, Space Net Zero, we don't know where we're going to get here, all the way now through six of these in the challenge series? Yeah, thanks. So, so you know, I think Adam touched on this a little bit, and we set out, uh, we were inspired by uh, you know, challenges and data sets like ImageNet, and we saw broad participation. We saw an opportunity to um, apply this kind of technology, these algorithms to remote sensing and satellite imagery data, but we needed to build that community and help lower the barrier to entry for those that may not be as familiar with working with geospatial data in order to do that. So, you know, I think today, is it, what is it, Ryan, like 82 countries we have participation. That's right. 
Um, and so I think you know that's something we're really proud of. We've um, you know, we've tried to lower the barrier to to participate in this in every way possible, right? From the data standards to documentation uh, to also having a permissible license model that makes it easy to use the data, uh, and you know, and then also um, having you know outreach, right? So whether it's um, the Cosmic Works uh, blog posts, or the downlink, this you know prolific set of blog posts that are phenomenal, go along with each of the challenges as well as the, looking at the results and then the various social media and outreach. So I think we've seen that community come together. Um, there's been you know, the interaction around the challenges uh, on TopCoder, I think it's been phenomenal. And we've seen uh, levels of participation uh, you know, steadily increase and groups of users, um, you know, I think one, there's new users every time, but also we see a lot of the same participants coming back challenge to challenge. So you get the sense that, you know, there, there is this strong sense of, of community around both the challenges as well as those that um, that we experience in our industries that um, make use of this data and are really uh, strongly interested in advancing what the state of the art is for this. For me, it's fascinating because I, you know, I'm always following how do communities evolve, how how does knowledge share happen, and then how do you sometimes get um, near field repurposing? How do you get people that were in a different field or or completely out of domain? come into something brand new because they like the challenge, right? It's self-selection into something they find fascinating and, and they have the smarts to go, the smarts and the chops to go to go at it and see how they do against their peers and they, they have a chance to learn and to compete. And then actually, Dan, I want to bounce, bounce it over to you and then uh, and uh, welcome others to answer this too. You know, throughout the throughout the evolution of, of the SpaceNet series thus far, how much, even if it's a rough percentage, how many of the people that we see participating do we think are really, you know, domain uh, experts walking through the door, like they already have knowledge in geospatial versus those that we feel are attracted to the challenges because they are, you know, they are quite hard um, and they dig the topic and they go in at it, but they don't necessarily have a geospatial background. Dan, I'll pass it to you first, but others, please, uh, you know, please chime in with what you learned so far. Yeah, so from our side on the TopCoder community, um, it's a fairly a low percentage that come in with a, a direct geospatial background. What you really find are th these people, you know, they, they have the ability to look at data, whether it's geospatial or anything else, and, and they, they're like Neo. They see things in this data that <laughs> we don't see. And it's, uh, and, and it's very remarkable. And so they're able to basically take experiences and connections that they have previously and apply it to a geospatial format uh, and do that. Um, so like from the standard community, um, you know, most of the geospatial experience is going to come from other SpaceNet challenges. Uh, like Ryan said, we have a large returning, and Todd said we have a large returning number uh, of participants. Um, and then ones that we see come from outside of the community, I don't know if uh, Kristen may chime in on this, those are heavily geospatial focused uh, background uh, because people out there in the community outside of TopCoder uh, learn about this program and learn about what's going on, and uh, they really latch on to that aspect of it, and they're they're super eager to to join and, and get involved. Yeah, very cool. And now, by the way, I've got a, an image of Neo riding a chocobo, so that's that'll be with me for a while. So I appreciate that. And then, hey, Scott, over to you. You know, Capella Space is is a newer partner to to the SpaceNet consortium. Fundamentally, what is Capella Space bringing to the table? But also, what is Capella's uh, just root interest in in open source development and open data initiatives. We've been really big fans of the previous work done by the SpaceNet team. Uh, it's really raised awareness of what's possible with computer vision and geospatial machine learning. 
as well as highlighting and exploring the challenges in front of the community. Um, so we really think that there's a bright future and significant opportunity and applications that leverage the power of consistent uh, Earth observation with very high resolution SAR data and geospatial machine learning, uh, two things that are uh, core to the work that we do at Capella Space. Uh, the challenge for data scientists, I think, is that there isn't a lot of free and open license SAR data out in the world. And I think that that has really limited the forward progress in the development of new applications. So we've been thinking that the best way to enable new application development is really to break down those barriers and get as much open license SAR data into the hands of brilliant data scientists and developers as we can including those that don't have uh, geospatial backgrounds. And in my opinion, there's currently no better venue for doing that at the moment than the SpaceNet challenges. Um, I think another benefit of working within the SpaceNet partnership uh, is the diversity of partners. And uh, you know, for many applications, a single data type or a single perspective might not be enough. Um, and SpaceNet is really setting up to be a, a very promising venue for uh, data fusion research and exploring, uh, you know, the broad set of challenges that are in front of the geospatial developer community. Generally, uh, providing open data to the community is is uh, a core to what we think is necessary for uh, enabling development of new applications. So we also have a uh, developer community that we're building and providing additional very high resolution data sets uh, to and anyone who's interested can sign up at capellaspace.com slash community. Awesome. Love it. And thanks for, thanks for, you know, just uh, pushing on it further. And uh, it's, it's only going to breed more and more people interested in it. And, uh, you know, the more people that can join, the, the more brains around it. We, we know, we know what the, we know what the happens after the equation sign when that happens with, uh, with getting a lot of smart folks focused on something. So super cool. Um, you know, I love the terminology you use there as SpaceNet being a venue, you know, cause that, that, that evokes it being like a place. And, and we all want to kind of get back to venues right now. We all want to have that thing to come together as humans, especially now more than ever. And then, hey, Ryan, back to you. We're going we're gonna to kick into um, some coverage of what SpaceNet 6 covered, but how about a bit of uh, some of the milestones that got us from SpaceNet 1 through 5, and then we could uh, bring Jake into the conversation to talk about an overview of 6 and, and what it accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And it just kind of tying off, of, uh, jumping off Scott's comments, you know, it this is a really interesting time just to even be having this recording because going back to our opening statements, you know, one of the first ideas that we we had was uh, something around a multimodal challenge, right? And it was almost something that we thought of all the, all the issues that were in front of us that it was, we almost called it like the white whale. And we've already had one metaphor already with uh, the matrix, which, uh, does that make me Morpheus? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> if we go to another metaphor uh, with uh, the white whale, uh, that perhaps makes uh, Scott and, and Jake uh, uh, Captain Ahab. We'll, we'll let them sort it, sort that out. Uh, but long story short, it was something that we had always had in the back of our minds. And uh, in terms of a milestone, it's it's still hard for me to believe that we actually crossed it and had uh, such a great. Uh, uh, experience on the challenge and actually saw really compelling technical results. I think, you know, there's a couple of different ways we measure engagement uh, across the SpaceNet community, whether that is the amount of downloads 
uh, or unique hits of the data set that is housed in uh, the AWS Open Data Program. We've had hundreds of millions of unique hits, uh, as Todd mentioned, already across 82 countries. You know, SpaceNet 6 uh, is going to be, or has been at the time of recording, is going to be featured at uh, the Earth Vision Workshop, which is a part of CVPR, which was one of the leading computer vision venues uh, uh, in the world. Uh, and so for us, you put all that together, that means we're seeing broad usage of the data set, broad usage of the code that we're putting out, increased participation in the challenges. You know, all those are boxes that we sort of aspirationally put out on top of increasingly putting out more novel data sets and challenge types. So I couldn't be more uh, proud of uh, all the partners. And I think uh, the results that we're going to get into is six. Uh, really uh, highlight uh, that type of impact well. Uh, Jake, I think I think Ryan did the, uh, the, uh, the 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 tapping in of there, going back to the ropes and, and getting you in here. So we we discussed, you know, uh, Ryan laid out some of the great milestones throughout the series, and we are at the conclusion of SpaceNet six. So I think again, just some baseline information of you know what was what was SpaceNet six all about? A bit of an overview of the challenge, what made it unique, uh, how did it build upon some of the ones previous to it, uh, just so folks at home could digest, like, what kind of challenge was this and what was it trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, so SpaceNet 6 was our first multimodal challenge. And what I mean by multimodal is it featured uh, two types of remote sensing imagery. So in this, this sense, it, it featured Maxar's electro-optical imagery. So that's similar to how the human eye perceives the world. Uh, but we also introduced this new modality, uh, which is called SAR, synthetic aperture radar that Capella provided. Um, SAR is different as it's an, an active sensor. So it actually shoots a beam out of the sensor, it hits the ground, and then it reflects back. Uh, so this has a number of advantages because it can actually penetrate cloud cover. Uh, it can also work in any illumination setting. So it can be daytime, it can be nighttime. Um, these two things are really important because uh, if you think about a disaster response scenario, there's typically a lot of cloud cover. Um, it's typically very challenging to be able to actually image the ground. Uh, SAR is probably going to be one of the best methods to do that and actually derive some sort of map or, or usable product for, for first responders. Uh, and that's been a lot of our motivations in, in these challenges. Uh, our past challenges have focused on um, a lot of foundational mapping problems. So SpaceNet 6 also focuses on that, extracting building footprints using SAR and electro-optical data. SpaceNet 1 also focused on this, and uh, SpaceNet 2 and 5 focused on extracting road networks and uh, routing. Um, so yeah, th this, this challenge really ended up being another incremental step forward. Introducing SAR, uh, it's, it's a totally new domain that computer vision people are not used to working with. Uh, it pre presents its own challenges. Uh, for example, SAR actually doesn't have color. It's all about the texture of the surface we're trying to extract uh, features using just kind of texture metrics and seeing how, how the signal scatters back to the sensor. Um, so ultimately that really produced a very interesting challenge where we saw a lot of unique solutions and uh, seeing you know, how AI algorithms could really handle this new, modal new modality of data. Really cool to understand. And, and again, the, the piece that comes up for me, uh, as it may be kind of simple, is just that each time that you go out and you do another another uh, part of the series, there's there's something new you're achieving. You know, it's some, some new use case you're going forward with. Uh, and the the addition of brand new technologies in there that even the geospatial community isn't isn't quite used to yet 
is uh, is something that I, I, for me I take pride in, but also I can just kind of geek out on a bit and just uh, and just really kind of get giddy over. And so, and I, I don't I don't even code, so I can only imagine what it must feel like if you were into geospatial or if you were following the series, and then you you know open up space in that section like whoa I get to play with this, <laughs> like this is this is really interesting, and you get to kind of tinker with a brand new technology, which uh, which is a great opportunity, you know, like the op the 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 opportunity that open challenges can provide to people who want to step into the ring is uh, really unprecedented and 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 wholly transparent, and it's probably you know certainly one of the reasons we get the the level of participation and then through that participation we end up getting what are um you know re results that are very very tough to achieve potentially impossible without the use of crowd because you're just getting that superset you're getting so many people involved in it and, and giving it their all to to try and come through with a really unique and uh and brand new solution so that stuff excites me and then hey todd and scott uh, from your opinion you know is is there more to add to the uh, the description of the data set from uh, your two vantage points? Yeah, I can jump in uh, on the SAR part of the data set. Uh, so we're launching our first uh, spacecraft for commercial operations this summer. And in advance of, of having data from space, we were really trying to simulate uh, what our future products would look like. And so we've been flying a number of aerial campaigns to collect SAR data um, and essentially simulate our future products. Uh, so this data set uh, is from an aerial campaign that we organized uh, with a partner in Europe to demonstrate uh, what that data would look like over the port of Rotterdam, uh, which has a lot of really interesting uh, features and a lot of interesting dynamics. Uh, it's single look complex data, which we provided in this case, and it was half meter resolution in slant range and about 0.3, resolution, 0 .3 meter resolution in azimuth. Uh, our constellation will be capable of imaging at higher resolutions uh, and producing products at about half meter ground resolution in the other imaging modes. Uh, but in this case, uh, the data was about half meter and 0.3 meters uh, in range in azimuth. And uh, I really want to bring Daniel into the discussion as well. You know, we're going to follow the, the white rabbit down this this rabbit hole a, a bit more here. And, you know, so we're talking about the data set, but the SpaceNet community, you also provide an algorithmic baseline so that the competitors have kind of a, a starting point, like starting blocks. Um, can you discuss how is that created? What's the purpose of that baseline? And, you know, just just give an overall description of, of what it allows for, what, is, what does it provide for the, the folks who are coming in to, uh, to do, you know, to provide the horsepower and compete? So the idea of the baseline is to give people a starting point, either in terms of ideas or in terms of actual code uh, as they develop the solution. And our baseline showcased the use of the SAR in conjunction with the optical data with the transfer learning approach to build up some model capabilities uh, using the one modality, which could then be applied to the other. Very cool. So then how do you score the models, you know, from an evaluation perspective? What's what's the I don't I don't want to call it a trick, that'll be that'll be cheaping it too much, but what's the uh, the technique to score the models? Yeah, so evaluation is really important. We use the SpaceNet metric, which is a very elegant solution to scoring building footprints. Uh, essentially, a footprint proposal is considered correct if it mostly overlaps with the ground truth building footprint. And then we compute the F1 score for those correct footprints. 
And that penalizes the right sorts of things. It doesn't penalize a submission that just maybe gets a wall location slightly wrong, but does penalize completely missing or, or fabricated buildings. And so it connects well with our common sense notion of what it means to get it right on a challenge like this. Thanks for pro providing some of that too. It's a the good good foundation to understand. And then, you know, either Jake or Daniel, you know, hey, doing these things, setting it out, being ambitious, they, they're all great. And, you know, if we don't get success, if we don't get, uh, if we don't get metrics around it that matter, then not saying it's all for not, we'll certainly learn from this. But in the case of SpaceNet 6, how did it go? Like if you're looking at it and saying, okay, we're at the end of this, what were the metrics that matter to you? What stands out? And how would you kind of grade the challenge? Yeah, I think it was uh, an excellent challenge. Cer certainly one of our best. We, we learned a ton from it. Uh, so I think the main takeaway here was that, you know, people were able to successfully apply computer vision AI algorithms to SAR and uh, be able to successfully extract building footprints uh, with this. Uh, so uh, the winning solution uh, ended up having a 74% increase over our baseline. So that's a significant improvement. Uh, another aspect that we're really excited about is the amount of participation we saw. So we saw over 1,600 submissions. Uh, we had 411 uh, registrants for the challenge. Um, so that, that just means that that's a lot of people crunching for many hours on this problem and really making uh, an, an impact in, in this crowdsource fashion. Uh, so, so we were really stoked about that. And yeah, those, those are pretty powerful. I mean, the, the participation metrics are, are, you know, really outstanding. And again, the, the throughput, uh, you know, 70 some odd percent increase is, uh, is, is really well done. So congrats on, on achieving that all around. So Jake, as a follow-up, what do the results tell you about the, the current state of the art for open source computer vision applied research? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the sense of, of SAR data, I mean, there's certainly more research that, that that's going to be required. I mean, open sourcing this data set was really the first step uh, going down that path. I think we're really optimistic about the results, but there, there certainly could be improvements. I think the algorithm struggled in a few senses with, with finding small structures, uh, even tall buildings were sometimes challenging. Uh, so those could be places for improvement. Uh, but but overall, we're, we're really excited about what we've seen. I think uh, certainly a lot of room for advancement and yeah. No, that's it. It's hey, it's good. It's good to be critical, right? It's a you, you understand where the successes are, but but having a critical eye on where things can improve will only sharpen it for next time. And and again, give that feedback to the community members uh, so they could they could come back in the ring next time and and hopefully perform even better and, and do some more, just bring some new models, new approaches to it. So it's, it's exciting. So, hey, before we talk about, you know, what's what's next for SpaceNet, uh, kind of what's coming up um, in terms of SpaceNet 7. Anybody else want to take the mic uh, and discuss key takeaways from SpaceNet 6, just feelings about it or, or metrics or just the, you know, overall momentum that you're feeling coming out of uh, out of SpaceNet 6? Yeah, Quinn, uh, I could definitely jump in on, on something like that because uh, what, you know, what Jake is saying, you know, about the participation mission volume is absolutely true. And I think one of the things there that that paints kind of a picture of SpaceNet 6, but also the SpaceNet program as a whole and the why we are so excited to kind of be a partner and continuously be a partner in this is like a challenge is a challenge. Each one of these is, is very unique and very different. And you can see in the volume of participation in SpaceNet 6, our community loves this. I mean, we we absolutely love getting these problems that, you know, we, we've never done a, a SAR data challenge before. And SpaceNet 6, and you see the turnout for people to say, I, they are, there's so much appetite 
people are so hungry to, to try these new things and to get involved in these new areas of data science and computer vision. Um, so, I mean, coming off that momentum, you know, we're, we're super excited to see where SpaceNet 7 goes uh, and, and everything after. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dan. I think it's a good, I think it's a beautiful segue, in fact, to, hey, Ryan, we started with you, so why don't we, why don't we kick it back to you? So, you know, very simply put, what's next for SpaceNet? Yeah, there really two things, and, and a little bit picks up uh, what Jake was talking about. You know, obviously, one of our core tenets of what we do is uh, building data sets, and those data sets live on after a challenge. They're not simply there just for for one effort, and then they go away. And that was something that us and Maxar uh, thought a lot about in the early days uh, when we were first getting started. And so step one is just seeing what work comes out from this community after the challenge. And, and actually, we see a lot of publications or feedback from us after this. So uh, I think we're particularly interested in getting feedback, not just uh, at big events like CBPR, but just from day-to-day -day in engagements with different end users, either accessing the data set or code base uh, related to SpaceNet 6. So I think that we're just getting started there. And then uh, the second thing is kind of going back to our core strategy. We're always thinking about how can we push uh, things forward just that one step further. Uh, SAR represented a big, a big jump for that. SpaceNet 5, where we're doing routing and timing was a big jump. Uh, I think we're really excited as we think about another issue that has been uh, discussed a lot since the early days of SpaceNet, which is time series data. It's something we, we've touched on a little bit. Our, it's our first move with SpaceNet 4, which was a really unique uh, collect from Worldview 2. And we're going to take an even deeper look at it with SpaceNet 7. And I'll, I'll, Adam, I'll, I'll let you jump in there and uh, talk a little bit about what we're thinking uh, to do in uh, the late summer, early fall. Yeah, kind of like uh, like SAR and multimodal, uh, the time series aspect, something we've been chasing for, for quite a while. And so we're really excited to finally have a, a very deep, uh, very broad as well data set for SpaceNet 7. Um, this will be our, our newest partner, Planet. Uh, so we'll have uh, dozens of locations, tens of thousands of square kilometers, uh, and it'd be a, a temporal stack of data. And so we're looking at, at tracking kind of infrastructure changes over time. Uh, and so that's something that I think will we'll really kind of raise the bar again into some, something new. Uh, and we're pretty excited to see how that turns out, especially given the recent uptick in kind of quality and quantity uh, of submissions to SpaceX 6. I think that will continue with SpaceX 7. That also will be featured as a NeurIPS competition. Uh, so NeurIPS is, is one of the premier computer vision conferences along with CDPR. So uh, that's another thing that's going to be fun to, to have to show when that is concluded. Awesome. Uh, I really want to thank everybody who was able to come on the Upriser podcast and, and just discuss this because, you know, at the at the very core of this, that the things that kind of just show up for me are this, you know, at, at its core, it's this this whole movement is open. Right, open data, open talent, uh, you know, open challenges where folks can can come in and self-select and try and try this out, and then learn from it and experience, and of course earn if earn if they're uh, if they are placing. But it's also you know it's it's also incredibly collaborative, right? This is this does not happen without sincere thought and partnerships that have been accelerated in in what is only a four year you know four plus year time span to 
for the SpaceNet team to make this consortium possible with all these different partners bringing in, uh, bringing these amazing data sets and new technologies so people can go at it and so people can tinker and innovate in this collaborative way. And I think the third piece, the, the third leg of this stool for me is that this is hard stuff. This is, you know, I think when so I still feel when that so many people, when they think about open talent, when they think about on-demand talent, they really gravitate towards uh, task work. You know, like hey, getting getting an Uber across town or getting my 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 2 a.m. burrito delivered. Not zero wrong with any of those things. I enjoy a good burrito just like anybody else, but. But those are things that most those are tasks that that hey if you if you have a car in that instance you probably could go do that but this is on the other end of the spectrum this is really hard groundbreaking innovation happening uh, through the through this mode of of open talent and open collaboration so I just want to uh, you know applaud everybody that from the from the SpaceNet consortium that's everybody represented here and those that are not represented here. And say, you know, thank you, thank you for having having the faith and having the uh, kind of the gall to put this out there and say we're gonna we're gonna march, we're gonna do something hard, hasn't been done before, and we're gonna do it in a non-traditional way because we think we're gonna get to a better outcome. So truly appreciate everybody joining us today on the Upriser podcast, and we can't wait to to see what uh what SpaceNet Seven's all about and get that out to the top coder community in the world and and see how see how much more further we could push this and how fast we can go. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Outstanding. Thank you. Thanks. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.